I am uh, fighting something. Uh, I was in bed till from uh, 5 yesterday until 10 this morning. So, But I'm here with um, something that I'd like to share. Um, I was uh, reading in my devotional times, my morning time, to connect with God from John 12 this week. I think I've been in John 12 for the last month or two. <laughs> I seem to sort of slide a couple of verses and then go back and look at a couple of those verses and then slide again. Anyway, and, and, and this week was, I had this very interesting thing happen. This uh, particular passage included three sort of thoughts and uh, it's irrelevant kind of at lo- some level what they were, but um, after, after reading this somewhat short paragraph section, I thought, what in the world does this have to do with that and that with that? And it was just, that was my first inclination. There was this topic here that it seemed disjointed. And immediately, like a flash, I, I got a download and the whole passage made sense. All the pieces uh, made complete sense and tremendously applicable to us as followers of Christ. And I was startled by that. That is not normal for me. Maybe a few times in my life I've had something, but that one was like, here's this quizzical, what in the world is this? And then, wow. You know, when I was a teenager, one of my favorite TV shows was Star Trek. And uh, I was reflecting and remembering on one of those shows where um, an alien people had come and stolen Spock's brain. New Star Trek movie's out, so I thought this was applicable. Though I haven't seen the new movie, so I can't reflect to that. I'll just go back to what I know. Anyway, somehow they had removed his brain. His body had remained intact, and they put this little thing on his head to, that they could remote control, you know, a little bit like uh, Nintendo, you know, or something like that. Anyway, and uh, of course, uh, Kirk and his crew figure out somehow you know, that this brain is 18 million light years away on some planet and they, they get there and they go down on the planet and, and all of a sudden, you know, there's nothing on the planet's surface but they find this city underneath. Okay, those of you who are my age, how many remember that, that show? Okay, we got, we got a couple. All right, there's four of us over 50 here, I guess. And it, my mother-in-law never saw Star Trek, I'm sure, but her kids would have all done that. Anyway... So they're down there, <clears throat> they're learning all this stuff, and, and finally they kind of g- get access to, you know, Spock's brain, and one of the members there of the city is supposed to surgically put it back in, but uh, they refuse to do it, and so uh, there's this, this computer called The Teacher, and uh, Bones was able to get a download of information to know how to surgically reinstall uh, Spock's brain into uh, into his body, and I, I I remember the show, and I remember this look on Bones's face. It said, "Oh, it's so easy," and it is when you know the information, right? But those of you who remember what happened in the middle of the surgery, he started forgetting. The information was seeping away, kind of like us when we're over fifty. You know, it's just kind of used to be there, and wait a minute, it's not there. And, of course, you know, he's able to finish the surgery out of his own knowledge. And and they hooked up Spock's vocal cords, and Spock helped him, too. Okay, so that was fantasy. But what I experienced this week was real. 
In John 14, 17, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit as our advocate and calls him the spirit of truth. And then in verse 26, Jesus says, But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Now, I have uh, this daily time with God most days of the week, but not all. I wish it were all, but those of you who've been around know that that's been a challenge for me, as I suspect it is for many of you. Um, and what I experienced that day, as I already suggested, was not the norm. That, that idea of just this spontaneous sort of uh, download of information. What has been the norm for me throughout the years of my times with God is that rereading and reading it again and reading it again over the years has allowed a deepening process of understanding. As children, even as adults, we predominantly have to kind of learn the basics before we can go on to the harder levels of understanding. Learning I, I was an elementary ed major, and I didn't get, have a whole lot of ed courses. And, of course, what I was taught in the 1970s is probably not true anymore uh, in 2013. But essentially, I think what happens along the way is that learning is based on building blocks, kind of like buildings are built. When a child is introduced to math in kindergarten, and I was a, a kindergarten assistant uh, my senior year of high school, and I remember helping them with math. And math in kindergarten at that time was shapes and colors. And the kindergarten teacher told me, yeah, that's math. It's not the math I was familiar with as a senior in high school, but okay, I get it. All right. So they're being introduced to this. But over the years, those lessons deepen, become more complex, going on to algebra, trigonometry, calculus. And I found it interesting kind of reflecting back when I was in college as a, um, uh, having a minor in American history. I remember thinking about how uh, history had been repeated throughout the years of my schooling, elementary school, middle school, then high school, and now college. It all was American history, but, you know, in elementary school, we remember the story about George Washington chopping down a cherry tree. Which I don't know what that had to do with history, but it was a lesson on integrity at least, right? Because he, he went and told his dad, I'm sorry, it was me. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that George Washington was this cool guy who, you know, chopped down cherry trees as a kid, right? <laughs> anyway, then in middle school relative to um, American history, maybe we were introduced to the Revolutionary War and some of the issues going on societally between Great Britain and ourselves. High school, maybe it might have brought up and taught us more about the Constitution. Maybe we were introduced to politics. Same topic, but kind of each time going back and, and coming around deepened our understanding and the complexities of what we understand. And that's essentially the process that I've experienced in my learning about God. Downloads are awesome. They're very cool. Sometimes we can read a book of someone who has gotten somewhat of a deeper understanding that we have, and we can gain uh, insights that we perhaps haven't gotten on our own. But when we approach the Bible, when we approach a Sunday morning like this, when, when we're involved together in looking at God's Word, we have to approach it as a learner, 
The word disciple means learner. Jesus encouraged us, no, he commanded us to go out into the world and make learners. Not Christians. He encouraged us to make learners. We all need to recognize that we're here this morning as a learner. I'm here this morning as a learner. And we don't read a passage from the Bible one time and, wow, I've got it now. Wow, that's awesome. And we never need to read that one again. We don't hear one sermon and now we know all we need to about that topic. And so, a little bit like the schooling educational process, occasionally around here, we we come back around to a topic again. Something maybe that we've covered before but uh, something with some greater depth, some greater understanding for us. And on occasion, not very often, but on occasion, we even use as our starting place that second time the same material we used last time. And we're doing that again in this series. We're starting a new series called Avoiding the Fiscal Cliff. Now, we, uh, Claire and I taught this material in 2009, and it was called God's Bailout Package because that's what was happening in 2009. Now, of course, we're facing the whole issue of the fiscal cliff uh, in our world. There's always some kind of financial pressures that, uh, and issues that seem to be unsolvable that we somehow get through. It's now 2013, bailout's done and over, or is it really? Did anybody pay back their loans yet? I'm not sure. Anyway, God's word is timeless, as are his principles of how to live according to his ways. So for those of you who were not with us in 2009, welcome. I hope you find this material helpful, maybe even liberating. Um, For those of you who were here in 2009, you probably don't remember the material anyway, and that's so come along and uh, re-reflect and remember what we did. Hey, Jax. My grandson, sorry. He wanted me yesterday instead of his mom a couple of times. Very fun. At least while I'm around. They went, so he went searching for me this week, I understand, in my office. And I was in Austin, so he couldn't find me. Sad. Anyway, before we head on to our material this morning, let's pray. Papa, thank you um, that you have not left us alone in this process of learning. Um, that while... Um, you are the teacher, and on occasion we can experience downloads, ahas, moments about uh, our own life, about uh, the good news, about how to care and help for others. Predominantly, it's a block-by-block building process. And what you are uh, wanting us to do is to remain engaged as learners, to grow to allow you to deepen our understandings that more and more and more our lives would be changed and transformed, that we would be living more according to your ways than the ways of this world. And I welcome you to help us this morning and in this series as we uh, engage on this topic. Uh, Might it truly be revelatory and liberating. Come Holy Spirit. Might we meet and encounter you today for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, the beginning of my sermons, probably more often than they should, begin here. In the early chapters of the book of Genesis, we're told of God's love and plan and provision for humankind. But we're also told of humankind's rejection of God and his plan, their decision to live life according to what they thought was best, or as we recently were describing it, uh, to have the world the way they wanted it. And the end result of that human choice has been broken relationships, aloneness, hate, violence, murder, pain, sickness, disease, and death. But God, in his mercy and love and commitment, didn't throw up his hands and say, oh, well, it didn't work. Well, other than the flood, which knocked the heck out of us as a people at that time. So he committed to loving us. We told that he loved humankind, that he sent his one and only son to lead us away from that pattern of life, of living according to the ways we wanted into true life. In the book of Mark, chapter 1, the author introduces us to the ministry of Jesus. And the text says, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, saying the time is fulfilled, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, it's at hand, it's reachable, touchable, repent, turn, and believe the good news. The outcome of human rebellion taking charge of our own lives has been brokenness, pain, and death. And to experience the opposite, to experience wholeness, freedom, and true life, we have to repent, change our mind, change the course and direction that we have been going. And in this statement, in this declaration, Jesus is inviting us into a whole other realm, another world, another kind of life, and what is spoken of in the Gospels as eternal life. But a problem that we face is that when we often, when we hear that term eternal life, we think of a life in the future. Life after we're dead, eternal life, what what we're going to live out in heaven with Jesus someday. And we've equated eternal life with life in heaven. We may even think about it as a kind of agreement or a contract that we have signed about something that's going to provide for us our future, some kind of special retirement plan, right? But here's, and here's the most familiar passage about eternal life. And I believe that we can, we can see in the text why it is that we may have made that uh, conclusion. And would you uh, read that, uh, if we can get the next slide. Read this with me out loud, if you would. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life after they die. Wait a minute. That's not right. What's wrong with that? Give us the next slide, please. There it is. But might have, have, have. It's in my hand. I have a cup of hot tea. 
with honey in it to help me with my, my throat. I have it. I don't have this, I probably won't have this tea after I die. We're not doing, uh, you know, the open casket thing where they can set something in your hand, flour or your, your favorite mug of coffee and mocha. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have, have eternal life. We have a tendency to equate perish with hell and eternal life with life after we die, right? Isn't that kind of where we go with that? Perish, hell, eternal life, life in heaven. But the word perish is not only saying hell. It's talking about a process of death and dying that we are experiencing on this planet during this lifetime of ours. And so we need to to better understand what Jesus meant when he spoke of eternal life. And the easiest way to do that is turn to the one place the only place in the scriptures where the definition of eternal life is given. Which happens to be in John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus is praying. He is speaking to the Father. He's in the upper room. They've had the Passover meal. They're soon to leave there, go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then to Calvary the next day. And Jesus is praying to the Father, this incredible prayer over a couple of chapters in the book of John. Wonderful that we have it. And there in that prayer, Jesus describes and defines eternal life. He says, this is eternal life that they, his disciples, you and I, may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The word know in the Bible always means intimate, interactive relationship. It's it's about knowing another person and being known by that person. So when Jesus is describing and saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that they would not perish but have eternal life, he's saying that they would have intimate, interactive relationship with God. Now from other materials, we have a description of what that kind of relationship is like in human ways. We have some words that we use to describe and talk about intimacy and relationships. One of those is affectionate caring. Another one is vulnerable communication. The third is mutual giving, joint accomplishment. Claire and I reflect on these uh, fairly regularly, and they help us. Um, Are there not words for those, David? Okay, one more slide. There we go. Let's bring those up. Should be four of them there. Um, we ref- Claire and I reflect on these because there we need to be reminded what what does intimate interactive relationship look like and 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 we've done a lot of work in our uh, congregation about how does that work out in the human realm in our in our own uh, relationships, but these would also describe what Jesus is saying about knowing God. 
affectionate caring, vulnerable communication, mutual giving, joint accomplishment. The first two may be right. I mean, what can we bring and give to God? But surely we get those things from him. But mutual giving? What in the world do I have to give? Joint accomplishment? Okay, I can get that a little bit. But no, friends, this is about a real relationship. Jesus is inviting us into an eternal kind of life a life different than what we experience in the realm of our world. And this eternal life is now, not just after we die. The good news of the gospel is about eternal living here and now. And I have a suggestion for you. When you're reading through your Bible, and particularly you're going to find these words in the New Testament and a lot in the Gospels, Every time you read the words eternal life in your Bible or you think about this idea of eternal life, exchange the words. Don't use eternal life, but rather use the words interactive relationship with God. And David, there should be uh, a slide on that. Interactive relationship with God. Just kind of drop away eternal life and use that. And, and, And so I want us to read again. John 3.16, we should have that there in the notes. I want to read it again with exchanging those words as I just described them. John 3.16, let's read it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have an interactive relationship with God. Does that sound a little different? Now, I think for most of us, maybe many of us, okay, yeah, right, that's, that is what it is. But it's easy to sort of, uh, or maybe the, other, maybe the other side, it's harder to even imagine what is that like to have an interactive relationship with God. But that is what Jesus is inviting us to in that declaration about the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and turn and embrace and welcome this eternal life, this eternal life now that God has made available to us. We need to welcome and believe the good news that there is the possibility of another way, another kind of life than that which the world has taught us. Jesus knows that it doesn't work to live life as we want and yet expect to experience the fullness of life that God intends for us. The ways of the world and the ways of God are different. Now, I've had the the privilege to visit a number of uh, foreign countries. Uh, We have uh, some folks here that uh, have gone all the way to India a number of times. Um, And one of the things that's that's always present when you go to another country, uh, particularly non-Western countries, is, is the dynamic differences that are, that are present, you know, in contrast to our own. So when, when you were there, give me a couple. If you've been to like India or Africa or something that's pretty quite non-Western, what were some of the differences that you saw or experienced between that culture and this? Let's do a little out loud thing. Greetings, meaning just, just how you say hello. Okay, kissing both cheeks. What's another difference somebody has seen? In so 
So in India, uh, the physical labor of uh, the, the bulk of the physical labor in that country is done by women. Uh, one person was sharing, and that's pretty different than our society. Something else. One more time. I'm sorry. Time management. Yes, I love Mexican time. It's a lot like vineyard time. What were you saying? Okay, so a difference of religious practice and worship and dress. Cleanliness or hygiene in general. One more. Okay, the call to worship uh, in Islamic countries. The bathrooms. Yes, I could tell you about a story from when Claire and I were 22 in bathrooms at this church, but I won't tell you. When Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, he was saying a new kind of life, a new culture has arrived. A new way of living is now available that will lead you into the joy and fullness of life that God originally intended for humankind. A life of interactive relationship with him. Remember, in the garden Adam and Eve walked with God through the garden in the cool of the day. I had an interaction with God in my devotions about this, and I'm going to read it to you at some point in time in the midst of this series. Profound. What in the world was that like for them to walk with God? And I would suggest that's supposed to be available to us today. And that's almost crazy to imagine, isn't it? Well, that was them. It was pre-fall, all of that. But no, God, Jesus is offering to us the kind of life we were created to live. That same order of eternal living or living in the kingdom of God was introduced to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 and 16. Moses tells the people about a new way of life. He's essentially declaring what Jesus did thousands of years later. Repent. Turn. A new way of life is available to you. Let me read it to you. Deuteronomy 30, 15 and 16. Listen up, Moses said. Today I am giving you a choice between life and and death between prosperity and disaster doesn't that sound like the gospel a little bit for i command you this day to love the lord your god and to keep his commands decrees and regulations by walking in his ways walking in his ways is the same thing as living in the eternal life Living out, walking in his ways, living in the kingdom. If you do this, you will live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away, if you, like Adam and Eve, decide to live the world, live life the way you think is best, wanting the world your way, and you refuse to listen If you're drawn away to serve and worship other gods, 
then I warn you now that you will certainly perish, be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Friends, that's the, that's the presentation of the gospel. Same one that Jesus gave. For God so loved that he sent Moses in that time, not equating Moses with Jesus, but the word of God came forth from Moses in a similar way as the word of God came forth from all of the prophets, and John the Baptist and Jesus. Listen again to just the, 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 the heart of this statement of Moses. I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. Moses said there's two things we need to do that will lead us into the eternal life, the abundant life, the, the life of fullness of provision. The first is love the Lord our God. And the second is walk in his ways. To love God, to give him first place in our life. The first commandment said it this way, you shall have no other gods before me. Before everything else, we're to love God. We're to want to implement in our lives that which first and above all brings him glory and lives a life considering him and his ways. The only path that leads to abundant, fulfilling life is love for God. Every other path, every other love leads to death, the process of perishing. The second thing Moses told the people of Israel was that they needed to walk in God's ways. And he described that as keeping God's commands, decrees, and regulations. And it's there that we often get hung up. Commands, decrees, and regulations, law. Got to do this, got to do that, can't do this, can't do that. But if we understand that walking in God's ways is more and broader than that concept, if we understand it as just a bunch of rules and regulations, we're never going to do it. We're going to fail. The commands, the decrees, regulations, they were given in the Old and New Testaments as illustrations of the kind of lifestyle that leads to life rather than to death. Or, in contrast, death rather than life. Murder, which is taking another person's life out of anger, violence, and self-pursuit, leads to death. Not just the one killed, but the one doing the killing. Sex outside of marriage robs and steals from you, your spouse, and the other partner. It leads to death. Stealing, like lying and deception, breaks trust, reliability, leads to death. Jealousy, coveting what another has, robs from you, robs satisfaction and joy in life. It leads to death. The ways of God is the heart of of what Moses is saying. Love God and practice his ways. And the Bible is full of examples and illustrations of what the kind of life looks like that is living according to the ways of God. If we're going to be a learner 
of Christ, an apprentice of Christ. If we're going to be a follower of Jesus, then we need to get a couple of things in order. We need to make God first in our life, related to everything. Our time, our relationships, our career, our money, our thoughts, our goals, our use of the internet, what we watch, read, and listen to, everything. And we need to learn and live according to the ways of God, to step into living the eternal kind of life. And the way we're going to learn that is to spend time in the Bible, reading about and learning the ways of God, spending time developing this interactive relationship with Him, Most of the time, we're not going to learn a lot about the ways of God while we're watching a movie, reading a novel, or playing internet games. It's going to come from time with God, time in God's Word, time being with those who are also making God first in their life, who are also attempting to walk in the ways of God and learning His ways. And one of the areas where we many, most of us probably, many of us are inadequately educated about the ways of God is the area of money and finances. While we may have some ideas about giving and tithing that may be right or wrong, few of us really understand God's ways related to interest and debt. While some of us may have some ideas about sowing and reaping, few of us really understand the power behind money or increasing fruits of righteousness. In a day and hour when the world's financial systems are swirling out of control, states and nations are going bankrupt, our own nation facing a fiscal cliff, we as Christians should have answers for our family members and friends and loved ones. We should be the ones with the surplus to aid and help others in need, not the U.S. government. So for the next couple of months, Claire and I are going to teach on God's ways as they're related to the topic of finance. So let me just introduce this. I'm almost done. That was the intro, of course. And I hope you, I hope you don't walk away forgetting the intro. Because that's what we're going to talk about the next few months, is what does it look like to live in the kingdom? What does it lit, look like to live an eternal kind of life as it relates to finances. That's our topic. There's a tendency when people hear that there's going to be teaching about money uh, at church, they go, oh no, not money again. Didn't we just talk about money last year? Well, in our case, no. Last time we talked about it was 2009. So it's four years later. Every four years isn't too bad. But if you come to church in the next two months, maybe three, you're going to hear about it because it can take us a little while to get through the topic. I hope that you'll come back again next week. You know, while we may not all agree on the importance of teaching on money, we can agree, I think probably most of us, that the topic of faith is very, very important to us as Christians. The author of the book of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, goodness gracious, if it's impossible to please God without faith, then we better know about faith. And it's so important in the scriptures that there's 215 verses in the New Testament pertaining to faith. 215. It's a lot. Another very important topic in the Bible is that of salvation, the topic of salvation. 
And perhaps maybe nothing is more important than that, really. And there's 218 verses in the New Testament about salvation, three more than faith. And though we might, you know, not think the topic of money and finances is as important as those things, God seems to have a different idea. Because in the New Testament, there are 2,084 verses dealing with the topic of stewardship of and accountability for money and finance. God must have thought that was important, I think. How about this? Jesus presented 38 parables scattered throughout the Gospels. 38. 16 are about money and finances. 16 of 38. That's just about 50%. Wow. Now, with that great of a difference in the number of verses between faith, salvation, and money, we have to ask ourselves, why? Why is this topic so important to God and so offensive to us? Someone might conclude that the reason this topic is important to God is because God wants people's money. Some might conclude that, but he doesn't. What God wants is your heart and my heart. He wants our affections. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires, the affections of your heart will be also. And God sees, God knows that for many people, maybe most, their treasure is money and or what money can buy. Remember the two things Moses said we need to do that will lead to abundant life? Love God and walk in his ways. Really, that's a restatement of love God and love others. Little to nothing affects our emotions as much as money does. Or maybe somebody cutting us off in traffic. And how we relate to money shows us a lot about where our heart is. And besides coming to grips with where our heart is related to money, we have to learn what are God's ways related to finance. He has some things to tell us about how we're to relate to money. And we need the understanding of his ways or we're going to have a difficult time making it through these challenging times in the arena of finances. One statistic I read said that 80% of North American Christian homes have some type of financial distress, ranging from mild to serious. I wonder if that might describe your home or someone you know and love. If that's true, then we need to understand God's ways as it's related to finance. Now, as we consider this topic of walking in God's ways, I want to look at a principle that Jesus gives us. In a conversation Jesus had with uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, one of the things he said there was, the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Now, here in the vineyard, we love our worship time, the time of singing, 
songs and offering to God praise. We love that time. It's meaningful to us. We give a lot of time in our service. Almost half of the service is given to that. But the worship is much more than singing songs. Worship, according to the Bible, is a life lived in love and service to God. Everything we do should be an act of worship to God. So according to Jesus, everything we do in life needs to incorporate these two ingredients of truth and spirit. Truth has to do with natural and biblical principles of life. Um, A natural truth that we live in uh, every day is the law of gravity. And, And we all know about that law, right? That law says that if I let go of that, it's going to go on the floor. That's a law. It's a natural law. Um... We can overcome it, but we can't violate it, if that makes sense. Uh, Another one very similar to gravity is the law of aerodynamics. And my good friend, uh, Adrian, I don't think is here today. I was going to ask him a pilot question. Um, I remember when I first became aware that jets and planes didn't always land and take off in the same direction. I don't know when it was, sometime in high school or... I don't know when it was. But I, was I mean, I live underneath an airport uh, landing pattern uh, in Austin when I'm there during the week. And um, sometimes I hear the planes going this way, and sometimes I hear the planes going this way over the top of my RV. Unlike a runner or when we drive, a jet or plane does not take off according to the direction of their destination necessarily. We would think I always want to leave in the direction of my destination. But the law of aerodynamics says that a plane has to go against the wind or the current of the wind, I think. Again, I I wanted Adrian here to actually say what really is true there, but I believe it has to do with air currents. And because of lift and things like that with the wings, if they were to try and take off with the air currents going with them, they wouldn't get that lift. They might, you know, with enough jet propulsion, maybe they can pull it off the ground, but it's not as easy as, whoop, when you've got wind underneath your wings. So just as there are natural laws, so there are biblical and spiritual principles that we have to know and understand if we're going to live effectively in life, if we're going to live according to this eternal life that God has provided. Jesus said we must live according to truth and the Spirit. The spirit refers to being spirit-led or spiritually aware. It includes God speaking, leading us by his Holy Spirit. How many of you have had a, a sense, a prompting, that you needed to wait to do something or not do something? That when you heeded it, you found out that you had avoided something bad happening? Anybody had that experience? I've had dozens and dozens of times when I have been fretting over having lost something, missing something. And my daughters will very commonly walk up to me when I'm in that state and they'll ask if I've prayed about it. And of course, to which my response, if I'm not finding it, if I am fretting, is almost always, no, I haven't. So they pray, or I pray, and the item is found most of the time almost immediately, if not within moments. Now, I, that, that feels almost like a law 
for us in our home. I mean, I've had that process happen dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times. I'm fretting. I'm not finding it. I'm looking in my own strength. And God, who knows everything, knows where those keys are. I just don't think he cares. Right? It's too, why would God be concerned about where my cell phone is or my keys? Priscilla and I were doing a trip recently. And we had gone to a restaurant and sat there and gotten back in the car. And we had driven about an hour away from our, our, where we would eaten dinner on our way home. And she's, where's my phone? She starts going, where's my phone? So we, we were at a gas station. We were stopped. And, and uh, so she started looking and scrounging, and I started looking and scrounging. And we did that for a couple of minutes, and then one of us prayed. I don't know who. Probably her. Okay. It was a rough day. Well, I'm, I'm now carrying my... Oh, I don't have it on. I'm now carrying my phone on a, in a pouch on my... Uh, uh, on my side, on my belt. And I went like that, and I, I touched my phone. That Oh, yeah, my phone was there. And then my hand dropped, and it touched another phone. That was in my left pocket. And I remembered that at the restaurant, after we were done eating, she went in to use the restroom, and I gathered up all our stuff. And where do you put an extra cell phone when you got yours here? You drop it in your pocket. So we had driven for an hour. Anyway. Yeah, it was really nice. I mean, I was thinking about driving back. I had started, I, I, that's what happened. I reached for my phone to call the restaurant. And I did. I actually called the restaurant. Anyway, I don't know what happened. But anyway, really cool. I like living that kind of eternal life. I hate fretting about missing things. Way too many times in life, we forget or avoid welcoming the Holy Spirit into the circumstances of our lives. Is that not true for you? It is for me. Way too often, I just try to do things on my own. But eternal life, an interactive relationship with God, includes welcoming His Holy Spirit to actively be involved in the aspects and elements of our life. Not just for an hour on Sunday mornings. Not just when we're a community group. Not just when we're having our devotional or quiet time. But every minute of every day. I mean, it's a little bit. You know, Claire and I have been married for 35 years. And we have a very, very wonderful, connected relationship. We have our moments with one another. Particularly, she has her moments with me when I'm a jerk still. It happens. And she, she's very gracious with me about that. But... Can you imagine that kind of sort of a close relationship? And Clara was always with me. Somehow, you know, church work wasn't, you know, this and work. And she just was always with me. When I went to work and, you know, when I was uh, making dinner and all those things, she's always with me, but I never interact with her. She never, I never invite her to help me make my lunch or dinner. You know, she's standing right there. She could make it a whole lot better than me. But no, I'm making my own dinner. Wouldn't that be absolutely nuts? Well, it's a little bit like that with God who said, I am always with you. I will never be separated from you. He is with us. And yet we walk through our days. I walk through my day forgetting and avoiding 
inviting him in. That's what it means, this aspect, this principle of the Spirit. But it also means and includes the recognition that there are spiritual forces and powers at work in our world. When you walk into a hospital, you're walking into a place and environment that is ruled by a spirit of sickness, disease, and death. Now, I'm not suggesting that the staff, the nurses or doctors, are, there, are not there to help people get well. They are. But there are powers, there are rules and influences, spiritual, in those places. When you enter an area of extreme poverty or extreme wealth, there are spirits that dominate and influence those areas, the stores, the vendors in those kinds of places. When you walk into a mall, there are spiritual powers at work inviting and enticing you to buy things. Even Home Depot. I hate that. I need that. Oh, wait, I need that. You know what? I could, you know, if I get that and something breaks, then I'll have that. It'll be ready for when something goes wrong. So I just need to spend more money or, or I just need to add it to my credit card debt because I need it. There are powers, spiritual powers at work in our world. And so living according to the spirit and truth means that we need to become aware of these spiritual powers that are at work. And we're going to talk about the power behind money for the next two Sundays. That's my material for this morning. And as I was reviewing uh, my notes last night while I was, or yesterday afternoon when I was considering uh, what to highlight for ministry, I felt that there were three things that, that I wanted to highlight and invite us to consider. Some of you are here who are here are still at a stage of development of thinking about eternal life as something after you die. This, this idea of, e- of an eternal kind of life to be lived now, a powerful life, lived in this other culture called the culture of the kingdom of God. It has not been something that you have yet really engaged with. You've you've equated eternal life with life in heaven someday. You, You think of it as this kind of agreement or contract. But God is inviting you to consider changing your mind about that and beginning to consider what it means for eternal life to be now to be an interactive relationship with him. I think that there's some of you here that that are wrestling at that level. Some of you are uneasy about us talking about money here at church. And when you heard that, there were some negative thoughts, negative feelings that may have gone through your mind and body. And I would encourage you to pray about that this week or to get prayer here this morning or from those in your community group. I believe that those thoughts, that that under those thoughts is fear. And fear in a number of possible ways relating to you and the issue of money. And I believe that God is going to want to set you free from those fears. Some of you know and believe that this kind of life, this eternal life is available. And you have been working at developing and implementing an interactive relationship with God. But it is an absolute struggle. 
You're wrestling with it at this very time. How do I have a relationship with God who is invisible? Those words of vulnerable communication and uh, mutual giving and joint accomplishment. How in the world do I, do I have that with God? And maybe you've gotten stuck. And as a result, you forget to or avoid welcoming God into the circumstances of your life. I would just encourage us here for the next couple of minutes. To, I'm going to give you a time of, of quiet. And I'm going to invite you to pray in your own mind, in your heart. And just tell God what you're feeling about this topic, about these things that I've shared. And then ask him if he has anything to tell you about it. And listen. In this kind of a setting, a place where we are honoring, honoring and glorifying God, where we have invited the Holy Spirit, he wants to speak to you. This is an interactive relationship. It is not just God out there someday. It is God right here with you right now. So I'm going to encourage you. I'm just going to, it's going to be quiet for a few minutes. I invite you first to just pray and just tell him what you're feeling. Tell him what you're thinking about these things. And then ask him if he wants to say something to you. If you journal and you have a journal here with you, I might encourage you to pull it out. Some of you are accustomed to that. Most of you probably are not. It's okay. So let's pray. And I'm just going to initiate a very simple prayer. Papa, we need to hear your voice. We're here as a a local congregation because we're committed to knowing you in interactive relationship. And I ask that you, Holy Spirit, would lead and touch my friends here today, that they could be honest with you about what they're thinking and feeling, and that they would hear your voice in response. In Jesus' name. Papa, thank you for um, listening to our hearts and thank you as well for speaking to them as well. And I uh, thank you that we're going to walk out of here not alone, that your Holy Spirit is with us and will guide and protect us and guard us and teach us. So even this week, Papa, as we go through life and engage and interact with aspects of money and finances, whether it be worry whether it be celebration with a new job, um, that we would welcome you into those moments and that we could uh, know how you would have us to live this eternal kind of life relative and relevant with this topic of finances and money. Have your way in our lives. God, we really do want to glorify you. We really do want to love you and to have you first in our life and help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if I could have some of <coughs> the, those that trained in, in ministry prayer and so-so prayer and healing prayer and intercessory prayer. You want to say something? Or you're just coming? It's coming. Cool. Come on up. Um, if in that uh, prayer time... Uh, there was something in you about this and you'd like someone to pray with you. We have folks that are trained and would love to come alongside um, 
you in these, in these ways. So they're here to pray with you. And I would encourage you, if you heard something from God, that you would share that with someone else. And let, them, let someone else in your life know what you heard God say today. Love you all. Bless you. And see you next week.